0: My name is Ricky and I'm one of the pastors here at City of Light. And and I've really enjoyed going through the life of David. And we've been going through 1 Samuel. And and today we're going to hop into 2 Samuel. And um, today I want to share with you a story that I think is really going to help us to understand uh, what's going on in the passage this morning. I was was so excited. Uh, I'd been looking forward to this for for weeks, and and the day had finally come. We we pull up into the car, my dad puts it in park, and we start walking down the hill, and we get down to the shoreline, and and, and then I pick up some rocks, and I throw them as far as I can, and then my dad said, hey, hey, you're going to scare the fish, and so he pulls out a tackle box, and and he puts a hook on the line, gets a weight on it, pulls out a cart, and he says, hey son, grab a worm. So I reach in there and grab one of them out, and he says, okay, we'll put it on the hook. And I'm kind of going like this, and the worm does that little kind of squatty thing, and I can't get it on there. And, and, then, he, and then he says, okay, well, here, let me show you how to do it. And he puts the worm on there, and he says, okay, well, hey, to cast, you want to you want to push the button, and you want to go back, and then when it gets out there, you let, you let go, not of the reel, but just of the button. And, you know, so he kind of helps me there, and, you know, I push the button, and I'm concentrating and let go of the, the button, and off the worm and the weight goes and see it bloop just in the water and feeling pretty good and he says okay we well, got he shows me how to tighten the slack and and he says okay now now watch the end of of your line there watch the end of the pole and when it when it moves when it goes like that that's a fish and then you need to pull on it and set the hook and so some time passes by and and I'm just kind of not really paying attention anymore, I'm just like, look at the birds, look at this dirt, I'm gonna dig in the dirt, and um, he says, whoa, whoa there, there it goes, there it goes, you've got to bite, and he pulls on, the, pulls on the reel real quick and puts the pole in my hand and says, okay, now reel it in, and I'm reeling it in, yeah, this is looking great, and I, I get the fish, and, and it, it's a small catfish. And he's like, grab it, but don't, don't grab the pointy things. It'll sting you. What's the fish going to sting me? What's going on? And so he, I'm just like, ah. And he's like, okay, well, here. And he, he gets the fish, and he says, okay, well, here's how you get the hook out of its mouth. And he does that, and then he puts the fish in my hand, and I say, I caught my first fish. And, and now who, who was really the one that caught the fish? Who was actually the fisherman in the story? And, and it's good for us to recognize who's the one with the authority and the wisdom and the power, and who is the one that was just doing what he was told. And that's going to help us today. And so I invite you, if you've got a Bible, to open up to 2 Samuel chapter 5. 2 Samuel chapter 5. And um, just as you're turning there, some, some background on it, some context. So at the end of 1 Samuel, um, Saul is king, and he's fighting against the Philistines, and they have been fighting these guys for years and years, and um, he's, he's being defeated by the Philistines, and <clears throat> so Saul decides, well, hey, instead of letting the Philistines kill me, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of take my own life, and so him and his armor bearer, they take their own lives, and you would think, okay, because Saul is basically the one that's in the way of David becoming king, you'd think after he dies, now David can be king, right? Well, sort of. And so Israel, there's the southern part of Israel, and that's that's Judah. And so they kind of, they do acknowledge David as king. But the northern part, they don't. And one of Saul's generals, his name is Abner, he comes and, and he wants to kind of he wants to be on top of, of things. So he gets one of Saul's sons, Ishbosheth, and he says, hey, let, he can be king. You know, he's in the lineage. He can be king. But Abner's really running the show. And so basically for seven and a half years, there's this division between the north where, um, where they don't acknowledge David as king in the south, where they do. And, and there's this there's fighting. There's this civil war that is going on. And... Um, <clears throat> and then we, ish, ish- is eventually killed. Some people sneak into his room at, at night and, and cut his head off. It's some fun reading. You should go back, check it out. Um, but and that, now we come to, to chapter 5. Verse 1, it says, Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and flesh. In times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you who led out and brought in Israel. And the Lord said to you, you shall be shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord. And they anointed David king over Israel. And so the first point is that the king has arrived. The king has arrived. The king, he's, he's here. And, and now this is a great moment. I mean, all the tribes of Israel, the north, the south, they're all here and they're unified in proclaiming that David is the king. I mean, again, the country's been at war, tribes versus tribes, relatives versus relatives, and now they're all in agreement. Not because David's kind of coerced his way through this or had some snazzy negotiations or anything like that. They just recognize, David, you're the king. And, and they say, hey, we're the, of the same bone and flesh. You know, it's like, hey, we're, we're brothers, we're family, we're kin. And, and we're, we're in this together. They recognize David and his military leadership and they said, hey, you're the one that went out for us and you're the one that brought us back. Even when we all weren't backing you, you were the guy that was doing that. And most importantly, they recognize that this is God's doing. The Lord is the one that said, You shall be shepherd over us. This is him doing this. And all the elders, they come of Israel and they make this covenant with David and they anoint him as king. This is a great, great moment. And and one thing that, that, that can be easy to forget is that this took a long time from the time that David was told he would be king to the time that he is actually king. I mean, if you kind of go back, it's about 25 years when, when God sent Samuel to go anoint David as king. 25 years. I mean, that is a long time. And much of this time, David's being faithful, and, and he's in the wilderness running for his life. I mean, Saul is chasing after him. He's in despair. And I'm just thinking, man, if I was David and God told me this, I And after probably not even a couple of decades, but probably like year 10, 11, I'd be like, this stinks. This is kind of taking a long time, God. I mean, I'm doing this, and Saul's like chucking spears at me. Um, Yeah, not so cool. And <clears throat> I think I'd maybe just feel like, man, let's, I don't know. Is it really that important that I'm king? Maybe you should get somebody else. And maybe I'd just give up. Or when David, or, or when, when, when Saul comes into this cave to go to the restroom and David's in there, all of his, David's men are like, You should go kill him. Now, if I was in David's shoes, I think I'd be like, Yeah, this waiting business does stink. Let's do it. Stab. And um, now some of you guys are like, Whoa, your pastor said you would stab somebody. Um, so um, just make me king, man. Um, and so I would just want to force the issue and just kind of take matters into my own hands. And. And we kind of wrestle with the same thing. You know, we we get discouraged when things don't just go our way. We don't like waiting for things to change. Um, I mean, just think of how frustrated you get over waiting for things in your life. I mean, you're in Target, and you're waiting for that person in line, and you're just like, they're like, I forgot my pin, And you're just like, it's one, two, three, four. Just push it. Come on. Like, it's go time, baby. Um, I mean, or if you're in traffic... And somebody's just even just driving the speed limit. And you're like, the gas pedal's on the right. It's just a school zone. Get going. <laughs> it, it, if, you're, if you're like Netflix pauses for a second and, you, you know, does a little circle thing or your YouTube video, you're just like, this is forever. And then 10 seconds later it goes and you're just like, oh, my Internet connection stinks. I'm getting out you know, sorry if you work for Spectrum or something else. Um, you know, but we, but we hate to wait. We, we, we don't like waiting for anything. We want things to be the way that we want them to be, and we want them to be that way now. And, and here, here's the problem with all that. It is, is we tend to really put the focus on ourselves, right? What, think, think of your prayers. What do your prayers tend to look like? Your prayers tend to be really just focused on things that you want. And, um, you know, there's a season in my life where I I was looking for a job, and I felt like I was following God, felt like God had kind of led me a certain way, and, man, this is taking longer than I thought it would. This isn't fun at all. I would rather have a salary than not a salary, and this man the the places that I think that that I want to work for man they don't really want me and then the people that want me I'm like well that seems like a great job but for some reason I man I just don't want it I don't feel like God's leading me that direction man is there's there's something wrong with me and and it felt like this is just taking forever and God I mean my prayers were just like God this is my situation fix it come on I mean just give me what I want what's going on I mean just just please do something God and do it now And, and I want to assure you that we can and we should go to God with our problems, with our situations, with our cares. I mean, it says, cast your cares on God because he cares for you. And if you're facing problems or, or grief or troubles, that is real. Those are real things, and, and it is hard. And praise God that he is good and that he is with us and that he hears us. But here's the, the trap that I fell into. Is I really started to think that if I just got the circumstances that I wanted that that would become the most satisfying thing in my life. That if things just went the way that they are supposed to go for me, that would be the absolute best thing that I can have. More than God, more than anything, it was just like, just give me what I want, that's what's best. And many times our our joy can really fluctuate depending on our circumstances. And the problem with that is is if our joy is really hinged on our circumstances, our joy is going to change because our circumstances change and we think that man if I could just get this or this could just happen that is so that, that'll be real life that'll be amazing that'll be the best thing that I can ever experience even outside of just knowing God that God you're really more satisfying than anything more satisfying than, than anything that I can experience you're the giver of life because real life, real joy does not come from outside of God. It comes from within God, from God Himself. And many times when we're, we're, we're going through circumstances and, and it's delayed and things aren't going the way that we want them to, it's because God is wanting to shape and mold us. And, and, and it's not so much about what you want, but what God wants to do in and through you. The, it's about who God wants to shape you to become. And see, David was in, was in the wilderness for all of this time, 25 years. And God is saying, you're not ready to be king. You're not ready to be a shepherd to my people. I need to shape and mold you. And, and, and he, but God does deliver on his promise. And, and now David, here in chapter 5, is king. And so let's come to, to verses 6. Through ten, so, so all Israel said, saying, hey, you're the king. God has brought you here. And in verse 6, it says, And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who said to David, 'You will not come in here, but the blind and the lame will ward you off, thinking David cannot come in here. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is the city of David. And David said on that day, Whoever would strike the Jebusites, let him go up the water shaft to attack the, the lame and the blind who are hated by David's soul. Therefore, it is said, The blind and the lame shall not come into the house. And the Jebusites, they, they occupy Jerusalem. And so, when the Israelites came into the promised land, kind of right in the middle of this is this city. And they had not been able to kick out the, the Jebusites for hundreds of years because of this fortified, walled city. And then we come to verses 6 and 8, and, and this might be a little confusing, because you might be thinking, man, David David hates blind and lame people. David's a meanie. We don't like David. Mm. Um, you know, so that that's really not what's going on. David isn't just saying like, oh, blind and lame people, they can never come into my palace, suckas. Um, you know, what, what's going on is just basically trash talk. And so the, these, these Jebusites, they're up behind their walled city, and they're like, hey, you ain't getting in. And even if we were blind and lame, you still ain't getting in. We could totally defend the city. And so then David just kind of plays along, and he tells his men, oh, go, okay, well, hey, why don't you go up there and go kill those blind and lame guys? And, and, and then they do. Um, so, um, and this is a great victory um, for David. Great victory. They capture the city. And then we look at verse 10, and it says, And David became greater and greater for the Lord of hosts was with him. See, this is happening because God is doing this. It isn't because David is awesome. It isn't because David is a great fighter, or he's really skilled, or he's really smart. This is God doing this. And when it says the Lord of hosts, some translations said that it's the God who commands armies was with him. This is why David is succeeding, is because of God. He was with him. And remember where David came from. David is a nobody. I mean, when we find David and Samuel's going to anoint a king, he goes to Jesse, who's David's dad, and he says, hey, one of your boys is supposed to be a king. And David's dad lines up all of the sons and says, hey, it's got to be one of these guys. But David's dad doesn't even think David is important enough to bring along. And when Samuel said, nope, it's not any of these guys, Jesse's like, well, I guess there's David. David. He doesn't actually even say David. He doesn't even call him by his name. He's like, well, there's, there's my other boy that's watching the sheep. He's a nobody. He's just a shepherd boy. He's just an average, normal, mundane guy. But God uses him because David trusted God. He obeyed God and he followed God. And, it's, and God uses us. Not, 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 not just because we have awesome gifts, not because we're, we have awesome strengths. He uses those things for sure, but he uses us because we're trusting and following him. That's when he can do amazing things. God loves the average. He loves the ordinary. And, and he became the average for us. I mean, think about it. God became human, became fully man. And when he came as a man, he... He was a Jew. I mean, the, the Jews aren't in power. The Jews are nobodies. They're being ruled by other people. But God comes as a Jew. And then, I mean, he's, he's born as a baby. And He's born not in a palace, not to a family with a lot of wealth. He's born right next to animals, to a, to a family that isn't royalty and they're of low status. He, he embodies That humility and body's kind of that that ordinary. And also, Jesus, being an innocent man, was convicted as a criminal to death. I mean, think about it. You want to think, who's the lowest of the low? Well, people on death row, right? I mean, that's Jesus. Jesus is a convicted criminal sent to die, and from there, he pays the price for our sin. And he raises again to new life. And through him, it's possible that we can have a relationship with with God. He uses uses us. He, he, He uses the ordinary, the average, the nobodies for great things when we trust and follow God. Just like he did with David. It isn't about how great you are. But it's about how great and powerful God is. Now, David... He becomes great because God was with him. And then, then we see in verse 11, there, there's this king that says, you know, hey, I'll build you this palace. And, and, and probably this king, uh, Hiram, he, he probably has some ulterior motives. You know, he, he's fighting against the Philistines and, and he wants to get on David's good side. And so, hey, I'll build you this palace. But it's still this sign of blessing from God that God is with him. God, God, is, God is making David great. And so then we come to verse 12. And it says this, And David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel. The king has arrived. I mean, the the waiting is over. God has made good on his promise. We can all breathe. All right. We made it. We've reached the goal, right? Well, no, that, that isn't it. Look at the rest of verse 12. So David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel and that he had exalted his kingdom. Why? For the sake of his people, God's people, Israel. You see, getting David to be the king, that wasn't the point. That's not not the goal because David isn't the point. God is the point. This is about what God wants to do. David knew that God made him king. Why? For the sake of God's purposes, God's people, Israel. This is what God is doing. It isn't just that the king, David, has arrived, it's that God is the real king. And that's the second point. The king knows who is king. The king, David, knows who the real king is, God. In verse 12, it's it's a key to understanding why David prospered here. He realized that God was Israel's real authority. God is Israel's real leader, real king. And see, Saul never really realized this. Saul thought it was about him. Hey, I'm the man. I'm the one in charge. This is my authority. I want to do things for me so that I I can get what I want. And here we see, no, it's, it's not about you. It's not about what you want. It's about what God wants and what God wants to do for his people. And David viewed this as a gift from God. It it wasn't that that God had placed David on the throne for David's purposes, for David's glory, for David's significance, so that David could be a really important person. This happened for God's glory, for God's purposes, that David might live for God's purposes and shepherd his people. You see, when God blesses you, it isn't just for you. God never blesses you just so that you can be blessed. Because God's purposes are bigger than you being happy. God blesses you so that you can be a blessing to others so that they might know who God is and that he would be glorified. And we see this, this, this being played out. And verses 17 through 25, and, and I'll just kind of summarize this. So, so David's made king. He, he captures Jerusalem. And so the Philistines, the ones that they've been battling with for years and years, they, they hear about this, and they, they know, oh, okay, well, hey, David's a threat. The, the country seems kind of unified right now. Let's make a move. Let's get in there before they, they really build their forces, before they really get strong. And so let's go fight David. And um, so David... Again, the king, he knows who the real king is. And in verse 19, says this, and David inquired of the Lord. Shall I go up and, and and go get him? I mean, think about this. You're David. You're the king. I mean, I feel like a lot of us in this moment, myself, I would be thinking, hey, I've just been crowned king. I don't know if I really need God. I mean, I'm the man. And and this is a perfect time for me to show people just how good of a king I am. I'm smart. I'm capable. I'm strong. I got this. But David, again, recognizes who the real king is, and he says, God, what do you want me to do? Because David knows that God didn't just establish him as king, but that God will sustain him as king. He knows who the one is in charge. He isn't the one doing this, but God is doing this. <clears throat> and so he inquires of God, and it says that David did as the Lord commanded. You see, you can't just ask God what he wants and then not do what he says. You can't just ask God and, and, or, or know God's will and then not obey. I mean, many, many times we know God's will. We know what God wants. We read it in God's word. We, we, we talk to God's people. And we don't do what he says because, I mean, let's face it, we want what we want. I don't want to do things God way. I want to do them. I want to do what I want. Or for some reason, we as humans, as finite, frail, broken, confused people, think that we know better than an infinite, all-knowing, all-powerful, and all-good God. I know what is better for my life than you, the one who created the universe and who's created me and knows all parts of me and that's ridiculous, right? I, I want you to listen to me. God has your best interests in mind with everything that He tells you to do. that doesn't mean it's easy, but God has your best interests in mind and he knows what is best for you more than you do. He knows what is best for you. It is always best for you to obey him. Again, I'm not saying easy. I'm not saying always it's always fun, but it is always best to follow him. And, and, and David does that. God tells David to go. David goes, and then see what, what he does here in verse 20. And David defeated them there. And David said, the Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breaking flood. David gives God the glory because David knows this isn't about me. We're, we're not here to celebrate me. We're here to celebrate God. God is the one doing this. God is the one in control. And he is pointing his people, Israel, to God. Saying God has done this he's pointing people to the real king. And then the Philistines a- after this defeat the, the Philistines they come at David again. And then and then David he he goes to inquire uh, of God again and says what do you want me to do? And then um, verse 23. This is this is so cool. Verse 23, and when David inquired of the Lord, he said, you know, God said, you shall not go up, but go around to the rear and come against them opposite the balsam trees. And when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the balsam trees, then rouse yourself for the, then the Lord has gone out before you to strike down the army of the Philistines. And, and so some commentators are looking at when they when it says the marching on top of the trees, they're saying that would have been God leading the armies of God. I mean I mean like really think about this. I mean, you're David. God just told you this. And you're behind these, these bassam trees. I don't know what those look like, but they're leafy. Um, and so, so you're down here, and you got this spear, and you got this shield. And you're like, okay. And then you hear it. You hear the marching above you on top of the trees. And you're like, that's God. That's his army. I mean, if I'm one of these guys, I'm like, this is awesome. I mean, like hey, guys over there, the Philistines, you don't know this, but you're about to get just smoked. I mean, this is like better than like jets flying over and starting to bomb them. You're just like, yeah, I got God's army. I mean, this, this, is, this is like going to be more just devastating than like the New England Patriots playing some little kid flag football team. And no, I don't like the Patriots. Um, but I mean, this, this is great. And, and just think back when Israel, they wanted a king. They said, we want a king who will go out and fight our battles for us. And here, they don't get that. They get something so much better. They they don't just get some guy, some king going out to, to do battle for them. They get God leading his armies to go fight for them. God is the one in charge. God is the one doing this. I mean... Again, think, Saul disobeyed God, and they've been fighting the Philistines for, for decades. And here, when, when, when David fights them, I mean, it, it is two big victories. And, and then we see for, for, over, for a few decades, they don't really fight with the Philistines anymore. I mean, it, it is that devastating to the Philistines here. But this is the same army that they've been fighting with for a long time. Saul lost to them. It, you probably have a lot of the same soldiers I mean, what has changed? What's the difference? The difference is, is the leader. David is submitting to God. David is trusting God. David is, is following God. David is a man after God's own heart. He knows he isn't the real king. It isn't about him, but, but God is the real king. It's about him, about his glory, In verse verse 12 it says that God, David knew that he established him king over Israel for the sake of God's purposes and God's people. And for, for us, we need to remember that. That that we aren't we aren't the point. God didn't just bless David for David, but he blessed David for, for God's purposes, for what he wanted to do. I mean, it's like me fishing with my dad. I didn't really have any wisdom. I didn't really have any authority. My job was to listen to my father and obey and do what he said. Just like it is here with David. And we're to live for Jesus. He is the real king. It's not about how awesome we are, but about how awesome and good God is. Because for as great a moment of, as this is, you know, the country's unified. They're capturing Jerusalem and they're experiencing victory after victory. This still isn't it. David is still just a guy. And a flawed one. Let's look in verse 15, in 13. Verse 13. So all these great things are happening. And then there's these kind of random verses here. And it just says, And David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem after he came from Hebron. And again, this, this might sound, sound random, but... it I think the, the author here knows what he's doing. He's pointing his back. See, there, in Deuteronomy 17, there was three things that God said, I require these three things of the king. First, he can't, can't just keep adding horses to himself. And what he's saying is like the, the king can't just build this big army and military because if he does that, he's going to trust his military, going to trust his power and not place his, his trust in me that God, I'm the one that's going to deliver. I'm the one that's going to have victory. And he says another requirement is the king can't acquire for himself a lot of gold and a lot of silver, a lot of wealth. Because, again, this isn't about the king and about him getting rich. This is about him being a shepherd over the people and helping them flourish. And and then God says there's another requirement. The king can't add wives. Because if he does, his heart's going to be led astray. And the author here is, is doing some foreshadowing about what will become of David. You see, David, this is where David messed up. The author just says, hey, he added more wives, more concubines. And it, and it did let his, lead his heart astray. And that was, that was really, if we look at life's, the life of David, that is his biggest moment of failure. And it really ultimately led to his kingdom being split and divided over this. Now, did God know that? yeah. And that's what's amazing about grace is that God even knew that. God knows that David isn't perfect, but he still used David by his grace. And and even though this this chapter is, is so encouraging, we see all these victories happening, and David is made king, David still isn't the answer. He still messes up. He isn't perfect. He let his people down. And for all the hope that the people would feel that day, it will fade because David would ultimately fall short. And we, and we can be like the Israelites. We think that this something or that someone, they'll, they're the answer. They'll fix everything. I mean, we could look around this country and see that just all the fighting and all, just how nuts everything is going off. And we could just be thinking, hey, if, if we could just get this leader in there, if we could just replace that leader, if the government would just do this, that'll fix it. Or, or, or maybe you're facing some really tough times right now. And I don't want to undermine that. They are tough. But we can think, hey, if my circumstances just change, if I could just, things could be going the way that I want them to be, that'll be it. That'll fix everything. And we place our our hope in government or our leaders, or we place our hope in our circumstances, and they all ultimately come up short. Because leaders fail and our circumstances change. None of these things are the answer, and they fall short just like David did. See, David was a good king, but we need a better king. See, at best, David could be good and not mess up too bad, but then he's going to die. But we have a king who died and paid the price for our sin and then raised from the dead. That tomb is empty. At best, David could help the Israelites and and help them defeat the enemies out there, But we have a king who faced and defeated the giants that we face in here, our ultimate enemy of sin and death. See, at best, David could help change policies or relations with other countries, but we have a king who changes and transforms us, not just individually, but us as a community and says, I'm going to transform you and you will love each other and you will go out and be the light of the world. At best, David was a good king to serve, but we have a better king who did not come to be served, but came to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. See, at best, David was, was a good king, but he still messed up, and he still fell extremely short. And if you're here today and, and you don't know Jesus, I just want to let you know that you fall short. Just like me, and just like everyone in here. We all fall short. We've all sinned against a holy and good God and we can't fix it. We're not the solution. We can't be good enough. We're all separated from God. We're all dead spiritually and we can't give ourselves life. We can't get to God on our own. There's nothing we can do. We can't be good enough. But there is one who is good enough. There is one who can bring us life, who can heal us. Jesus doesn't come up short. Jesus came, he died, and he paid the price for sin once and for all. And Jesus says, it is finished. And then he rose again. We have a better king that can save us from our sin so that we can have a relationship with God. Not because of how good you are, but because of how good he is. And just like with David, our job isn't to be awesome, isn't to do any of those things, but to just trust and say, God, I can't do this. I'm a sinner. I need you. Please save me. I'm trusting in you, God, and who you are and what you've done for me. And then we could be saved from our sin. We could be saved to God. Our king, our king is the great light that is shining to a people that are in darkness. In in the Bible, it says that he is called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, the good shepherd, alpha and omega, the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the father except through him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows. He was oppressed and he was crucified and he was killed for our sin. He became sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. So that God could look at us and say, you're not guilty, you're mine, you're my child and I love you more than you could ever know. And Paul says that I, I pray that you could know how much God loves you and guess what, you can't even know it because it's, it's unknowable, it's unfathomable, it's so big. That is our king. Jesus Christ, our King, the only remedy for an infinite gap between us and a Holy Father. Jesus Christ, the only bridge from death to life, the only hope for every downcast soul, the only comfort from our sorrow, the only healing for our diseased hearts. He is the only true joy in a world of full of fleeting pleasures. That is our King, the one true eternal good King, Jesus Christ. Sin is paid for in full. He rose from the dead. And he's going to prepare a place for us and he's coming back so that we could be with him forever.